Hi, I'm Tom Gully, and uh, you know, if you go to Wikipedia, it'll tell you about an American comedian named Kip Adada. It'll say that Kip was on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, Mike Douglas, Dinah, American Bandstand, The Midnight Special, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert, game shows like The Hollywood Squares and Make Me Laugh. He was on Dr. Demento. He uh, hosted Everything Goes on the Playboy channel. He opened for Andy Williams, Paul Anka, Liza Minnelli. He was in the Woody Guthrie biopic Bound for Glory. He was on The Larry Sanders Show. What it won't tell you is that Kipadana was a friend of mine. And at his urging, I recorded countless hours and hours and hours of our conversations. Well, this is the first in a series of podcasts chronicling those conversations. However, I encourage you to go to Amazon right now. Because this podcast isn't going to cost you anything. And purchase Confessions of a Comedian by Kip Adada. And without further ado, <laughs> here is the mind and the commentary in this first volume of me and Kip Adada. That's George Slaughter's personal secretary. Awesome. Jan Rowe. She likes to touch you in the dark. Yes. But who doesn't? Well. Including uh, yourself. Right. Oh, mama. But. I've already I just called the director of this thing, and uh, he was. I left. I had to leave him. Oh, Bobby Slayton, Bobby Slayton. And what material would that be, sir? Don't think I have ever ever taken anybody's stuff. Oh, you piece of shit! What else is he going to say, man? Of course. Uh, uh, Plus, you you rationalize that too. You know what I'm saying? You do it, and then after a while, you're like, "Oh, you know, I I didn't really take that. I, you know, I, I've been doing it for a long time. It's kind of mine now. You know, if you steal a bike after a while, you forgot you stole it. It's yours." Yeah. Let me get some Bobby Slayton. will come over here and kick, kick my ass. May call me, sir. It's nice you guys are saying, sir. I like it. Classy. Yeah, right. It also means you're about to die. Sir, comma, at 323 333. And I, I will be happy to refresh you on the matter at. Hand. Tell him your new agent's a guy named David Austin and to give him a call. No, I want him to call me. Yeah, I'm kidding. I am waiting. Now, we'll see. Oh, I can't. I don't recall any material that I've ever, ever taken anybody's stuff. At least not on my on purpose. Would love to know what you're talking about. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely leaving himself a way out of that one. Well, gee whiz, I may have, by sheer coincidence, happened on to a 15-minute piece of yours word for word. Uh, I don't know. Hey, dude, some of these people that have that channeling ability, 
Yeah. You know, you got to find out that you have it before you know you have it. So he might have just channeled you, man. Right. You never well, know. But this is cool because you're, you're, you're enlightening <coughs> him to this, this power that he has that he doesn't know about. And pretty soon he can use it for the CIA and the government and stuff. And we're, well, we're doing the world a favor here. Bobby Slayton was my opening act. Well, then. Well, well. <laughs> oh, well, then. That, that's where my claim falls to the ground. <laughs> right. So uh, he knows where he got it. I know where he got it. Because he not only took the material word for word. And a 15-minute chunk at that, he took it. He took the choreography too, you know. <laughs> and I'm going to tell him when he calls, and I hope he calls right away because I'm going to describe to him exactly the material. Are you going to you going to challenge him to a duel? Well, <laughs> one time, Don Novello. Oh, the great, uh, yeah, Father Guido Sarducci, the author of my f maybe my favorite comedy book. The Laszlo Letters. Yes. Uh, Don Novello walked into Dantana's one night, and I walked up and I said, Don Kippadada, uh, you, do you know I have three children? Are you aware of that? Because my th three children watched SCTV, okay? And you were pretty rough on me on that weren't you? And he says, well, I, I had nothing to do with that end of the show. I said, Don, you produced the show. <laughs> you were the producer of the show. <laughs> and you said some pretty ugly things about Kippadana through your actors. And uh, God, I wish you hadn't have done that. And then I sat down, and he immediately left the place and has never come back. Is he still with us? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, well, that's too bad. Hey, I was going to ask you. You know that guy that just died, the writer of these funny movies? and Oh, uh, Harold Ramis? Right. Yeah. Now, you know the guy... From SCTV, that little guy, little nebbish guy. Rick Moranis? Yeah. Here's what they would do. They would set up a kind of Tonight Show set. And our next comedian, ladies and gentlemen, Kippadada. Billy Maudlin, the Billy Maudlin show. And that, it was uh, him and, uh, oh, the guy that's in the American Pie movies now, Eugene Levy. Anyway, I would come, this little guy, as me, and... And he would do jokes that no one did laughed at. And then a big hook would come out and pull him off the stage. And they did it over and over and over again. And, I, you know, don't these people know that people are watching their shows? I watched every SCTV. I was a tremendous fan of that show. I saw them do me on it. I did. But you know what? I did not uh get any negative vibe from that i got a vibe of this guy everybody knows him he if you were gonna pick a comic you would pick Kip kippadada and say he's not worth his salt well i mean that's their that's their thing but i don't think people lampoon the small guys is what i'm getting at well um you're yeah you're right but however 
uh, th- that gives me the right to approach him and his girlfriend. Certainly it does. In public. Yeah. And challenge him on it. And if he would have said, hey, if I hurt your feelings or we went overboard, I apologize to you. And it was just done out of we were looking for an, whatever. He could have explained it to you. That wouldn't have made it right. But uh, see, I own the things I do. You know, there's been things. I had a, 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 a fake vendetta against the entertainment lady on the news in Indianapolis. And she'd come in with the cutesy story at the end. And she'd be, oh, and there's a new panda at the Indianapolis Zoo. Uh, I hope the zoo staff can bear it. And so I had a fake vendetta with her. Well, she came up to me one time and said, look, I know you're joking, but some people don't. And so the next day I got on the air and said, everybody realizes I'm kidding about Patty Spitler, right? I mean, that, I, I don't dislike her. She's ubiquitous, so she's fun to have a good time with. I talked to her about it last night, and we won't do it anymore. Uh, but, you know, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but, you know, whatever. People can talk to people. There's no, there's no law against that. Well, um, But I know how you would feel about it. I'm looking at it as a third party that doesn't have a pocketbook in the game or a the career in the game. So it's a whole different story. Yeah. He messages me. Um, so I'm going to, he messages me in a private message and, uh, I'm now I'm going to post it. Yeah. That'll rankle him. Bobby Slayton exclamation point. I am waiting for your, Call. You were, See, you and I have so many similarities. It's uncanny. I'm surprised we can't. I'm, I'm surprised we don't hate each other, because <laughs> because uh, usually they or excuse me, they say and you know they do some great work um, that uh, if people remind one of themselves, they usually don't like each other. However, one time I was with Andy Williams. And we were working a place called the Music Circus in Cahasset, Massachusetts. And it was a big round tent that sat about 3,500 people. Mm -hmm. And Andy said one day, he said, Kip, uh, uh, I've been invited to lunch. Won't you join us and, and come with me? And I said, why, sure. And we were driven to this, one of these places where you drive up a long tree-lined drive on and on and on. And finally, you come to a grand opening, and there is a huge mansion. And, and this, this, oh, the, whole, the whole kit and caboodle with the stairs leading up to the four sectioned front door that opened up and out comes the the help to greet you along with the family the husband the wife and the children and they come out and they're all in white because it's a summer day <laughs> and they said so they welcomed mr williams and and me whoever i was and escorted us through the house out onto the garden to this expansive rolling lawn that went down in tears. And, and there was a huge round table with white linens 
and the most beautiful flatware and just really nice. And we all sat around this big white table. And, um, and the reason, and I, I, this went without saying, I knew why Andy brought me along. He brought me along for his personal entertainment. <laughs> and he knew, didn't know what I would do, but he knew I would come up with something. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there not really saying anything. I'm enjoying my food, my little crab cake, and, <laughs> uh, you know, some white wine. and Scones. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, and Andy's chatting. Well, it's uh, delightful to, to be here. It's a beautiful place. Wonderful, really wonderful. <laughs> and so I wait till the meal is kind of almost over. And, um, and I say to everyone, I said, well, M Mr. Williams, before we go, I have to say thank you for bringing me along on this wonderful, wonderful garden party. Wonderful. It's beautiful. And this family, <laughs> well, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. And I'm speaking to the mother and the father. <laughs> and they're looking at each other. <laughs> and they're smiling, of course, very politely. Well, that's how charming, wonderful. <laughs> and uh, Andy's sitting there trying to keep a straight face because he knows I'm going somewhere. He just doesn't know where. And uh, I went on with it. I milked it. I said, and by the way, you're not fooling me for a minute. I know exactly who you are, and I know of all the great things that you've done. <laughs> and they're looking at each other. And the kids now are looking at their parents. Wow. <laughs> they're really something. It's my mom and dad over there. <laughs> and and the kids were not children, really. They were 13, 14-year-old kids. And I went on and on. I said, uh, I've been following your work. Well all my life <laughs> and uh, and in, co in constant amazement <laughs> at what you do you're, you're, you're wonderful <laughs> and of course I don't have to say to you but for myself known around the world <laughs> and now they're getting a, they're still smiling and nodding but they're getting this curious <laughs> look on their face and Andy's, Andy's like going like this. <laughs> Slowly nodding. <laughs> and he still doesn't know where I'm going. <laughs> and I milk it some more. I never, of course, ever thought that I'd be sitting here where I am, where you live. <laughs> and now they're very curious as to what the hell I'm talking about. 
So finally, the, 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 the father says, I'm sorry. I'm not sure we are the people that you think we are. I said, oh, oh, oh. don't, please, please, don't. Mr. Williams, I, I, I apologize if I'm out of line here. He said, no, no, Kim. No, no, it's quite all right. <laughs> I said, well, all right then. Sir, madam, you too. I'm not even sure you children know who your parents are and what they do. And now they're wide out. I bet you it's Norman Rockwell. <laughs> Cherubs. And I said, your parents, why, they're, they're them, aren't they? And they're looking at each other. We're them? I said, why, of course you're them, Mr. Williams. You didn't tell me anything about this. You didn't tell me we're, we were going to their house. You just said we were going to a luncheon. <laughs> you are a sly devil. <laughs> and he's going, well, you know, uh, I try to enjoy and... and <laughs> so finally I can't really milk this any longer I've got to come up with the, the the coup de gras if you will I said to them sir madam you are them you are they all my life I've been hearing well you know they say but I've never, ever imagined that I would meet them. And yet here I am at their home, your home. For you, you are they, aren't you? <laughs> the royal they. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I said, and my favorite work of yours, and one that I will never forget is it takes a big hog to weigh a ton. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. They started laughing. Uh -huh. They started laughing because they got where I was going because you know what they say. <laughs> and and now they're laughing and they're, even the children are laughing and so hard that they have to get up and wipe themselves and throw their napkins down and now they're la walking around laughing and looking up at the sky and laughing uh -huh. because they've been caught. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are them. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy is delighted. Uh -huh. He's absolutely delighted that I have come through for him big time. <laughs> Can you just imagine these people of great wealth? There's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful meal. Andy Williams is there for crying out loud. Right. And this guy they don't know says these complimentary yet slightly arcane things to them. Like yeah. like pretty soon he's going to start talking about they've got corpses in the basement or something. Yeah. They're a little defensive, and then they realize. 
this could go south on them, and then suddenly, okay, I get it, yeah. So, um, well, they just so much enjoyed that, and they finally got that I was, it was a spoof, and I was spoofing, and uh, and Andy was very pleased. Kip, you, you are something. <laughs> Now we've never talked about this, and I and I have to take Kip. Every time I talk to you, uh, we we go off on these tangents, and and I forget just really how many things you've done that I have, uh, you know, sort of watched and and appreciated, and took like I did Letterman for granted. It became well, such of my, a part of my life. It was assumed <laughs> the show that you did on Playboy channel everything the, goes including your clothes the one with the most on at the one end of the game wins i tell you what when that was on <laughs> was when i was in college oh god and believe you me sir when that program was on <laughs> if it was on <laughs> everything stopped <laughs> it did not matter what you were doing Hey, that show on Playboy where they have the game show with people taking their clothes off is on. And Kip Adada was the host of that for, was it seven years, eight years that thing was on or something? I did three and a half years of it. But but uh, uh, every time I would, they would hire me for, and then we did a generation of shows and then I wouldn't hear from them for a while. Yeah. And then they would call again. And I would, I would call my, I would say, well, I'm rich again. <laughs> they would throw this large sum of money at me. With, um, we had wonderful panelists, wonderful, wonderful panelists. Tommy Connolly commented on your, Tommy Connolly, hello. Anyway, um, <laughs> when I was presented, when I was presented with the show. I thought to myself, well, there'll be riots in the streets. <laughs> well, especially at that time. I yeah, mean, it, that, it, was that, a, it was a big thing just to have a show that didn't have naked people in it as part of a movie. Or, right. you know, they made up those shows like Silk Stockings and all those shows just so they could have some nudity in them and a little softcore with this oh. or that. But your show was there was no hold barred, blatant. Hey, this is a show where people are going to get their clothes taken off right. for sport. And I got, you know, uh, the tapes, I don't know why that isn't out on DVD because the, the videotapes of you that program me. are You're so highly sought after. Uh, it's not even funny. Uh, they're the well, prized possessions. Well, um, uh, that was a fun show to do. We had guests come out like JP Morgan. But wasn't she awesome? Oh God. The perfect I, person. I loved her. And, and, and um, and we would have the unknown comic, and we would have. I thought, were, were, to me, to my mindset, these were very not the unknown comic, but the standard set by the panelists was quite high. We had really good panelists. I thought, they, including including the unknown comic. Well, you know, like all shows of those that kind, I would check the contestants and say. Do I really want to see this girl take her clothes off? And it didn't matter because the show was so funny. You know what I'm saying? It's like you just who cares? You know, it's like the show was so funny. Do you remember the, the there was a segment of the show where there were three 
holes. Yes. And these girls would stick their tits through the holes. And a guy had to guess which one was his wife. (laughs) And there's a show very similar on now called... It's on one of the channels where they actually have girls on and they rate them. It's called the uh, body something or other. I could send you the, the YouTube link. But they do that in that show. They'll rate body parts. They have, they'll have like construction workers will be three construction workers will rate the girls or three Honey, something. Come here and show them your butt. Oh, no, no, no. Let's not. No, no, no. That's not. I've No. Tom, she's not coming over here. Oh, okay, good, good. <laughs> no. Anyway... She, uh, anyway, the first time they added that segment to the show, <laughs> I I thought, well, Jesus, what do I do with this? So, <laughs> and I mean, the crew, the cameras shook. I mean, the crew <laughs> fell down. The audience fell down. The panelists spit up on each other <laughs> because as I walked around the thing, I said, "Shoo! Wow! Imagine those in a tight sweater." <laughs> and they just went down, and and that was at that time. Christy Hefner had already taken over. Right. So I'm in a screening room with Christy Hefner, and I'm trying to. I'm pleading my case to her. I said, "Miss Hefner." Why do all the women have to be kind of like strippers and, uh, you know, they really, I want to see the girl next door. I want to see her tits. (laughs) I want to see someone naked that isn't got a perfect body. I want, I don't, I don't necessarily want to see, and I think I'm a a representative of the average guy. Sure, uh, great, Pamela Anderson, terrific. But what about Cynthia down the block? I'd really like to see her naked. <laughs> and she, for for an hour, and I timed it, for an hour I'm pleading my case, and, and Christy Hefner's going, while we're looking at different candidates for this <laughs> next thing, I, she's nodding, yes, yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Ah, really? Yeah. <laughs> so after all done, the guy in the back says, uh, "Miss Hefner, which one do you want?" And she says, "The one with the big tits." <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, you know, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Which is strange because Play- Playboy likes to make a big deal out of it when one of the uh, playmates is a regular girl. You know, she works at a McDonald's. Look, here she is behind the window, uh, you know, or she's just a regular gal. She, You could see her at the local surf shop or whatever. Uh, but they all had major league, you know, Melangahilas. Major league bodies. Yeah. You know, Playboy Playmates, let's face it. I haven't seen a Playboy in probably a decade. Mm -hmm. But I would wager that they're unbelievably gorgeous women. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they're airbrushed. And they're made into these, holy Christ. And then you get to fold them out and see the goods. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, I've got to, just talking to you, Tom, I must get over there and take a look at me, a playboy. <laughs> well, I worked for Hustler, and we didn't retouch at all. I mean, it was, uh, and I tell you what, when I was a kid, I never saw a playboy by itself. Unless it was like along the side of a road or something. I never saw a single Playboy. It was always like an old guy, like my grandpa or somebody that, that had like a stack of them that were. I, ne- I never saw them singular. I saw them in huge bulk. Well, know? one day Kelly Monteith told me, this is a long time ago. He said, Listen, when you're in a hotel room, look between the mattresses. I said, Why? He says, Because all these guys are on the road. And they now they got to go home. So what do they do with all these magazines they've purchased? They stick them under the mattress. <laughs> it's kind of an it's it's kind of a it's like it's, the uh, it's like the Gideons only with a Playboy. <laughs> well, not only Playboy, but Hustler and all sorts of things. It's, you know? it's like the Gideons only yeah. with porn. And and uh, it was something that was never discussed, but. Uh, uh, Evidently, each salesman knew. I wonder what the last guy left me. And the next hotel I went into, I tested this this uh, thing, and um, sure enough, <laughs> there were like six assorted girly magazines there. Oh Lord! And and um, of course there was Hustler magazine. Are represented and the girls from Hustler I mean if you wanted to get down and dirty there was only one place to go Hustler beaver hunt right I mean uh, and you knew that a girl was really good when she made the jump from beaver hunt to an actual photo spread You'd be, you, know, you get one issue because I worked on it. You know, you'd be, be like, hey, this one here, let's call her. That's what they would say. Um, when I worked at Hustler, uh, I, was a, I was never a full-time employee. I was a, uh, you know, they paid me on the side. And the first time I went to the magazine, because I was writing remotely, but the first time I went to L.A. to the magazine, we did a photo shoot. And I was, I'm in Hustler. I have Hustlers that I am in the gag section of as JFK's bodyguard or uh, the, I was the uh, Saudi Arabian Hustler rep. And as you know, they, they cut off body parts over there for pornography. He's a genius. Well, uh, I went to where they do all these shoots. Uh, it was out in West Hollywood. Larry, at one point, they were liquidating a huge amount of costumes from one of the Hollywood studios, and he bought the whole thing. So they had all these costumes. It smelled like mothballs. But they had costumes for any sort of scenario they would want to set up. And I was in these shots with well-known, you know, adult entertainer girls. Uh, you know, the problem isn't that you, that, that uh, with these girls isn't that you don't know where they've been. The problem is... You know exactly where they've been. Well, you know, I don't know how long it's been since you've been to L.A., but up, up just a block away from us is the Hustler store. Mm-hmm. And I've never been in it, but I'm going to go. I've been, you know, I've been, I pass it every time I go out. <laughs> it's the Hustler store. And I drive past it. Well, now, if I were to take be taken ill and be in the hospital 
I would be thinking, why the hell didn't I do that? I've got to get my butt into that hustler store and and see all the things, the wonderful things that there are in there. <laughs> well, there's some wonderful things in there. But Believe- but there was something about these I mean, a girl on the toilet with and down on the floor cigarette butts. Now, I mean, I'm from Rockford, Illinois. I love trailer parks. I've always had a thing for trailer parks. I, I like the smell of them, usually bacon. <laughs> and I, I just, there's something that's so, to me, romantic about a trailer park, especially at night when all the, there's people in there, they've got their lights on and, Something there's things going on in there. Who knows what's going on? And and there's Hustler magazine with these raunchy women in it. And I was fascinated by them, and still am. I I always thought, as in my mind's eye, in my mind's ear, I always thought they had southern accents, <laughs> which of course is ridiculous. But that's what I thought. <laughs> Jenny, have you ever seen a Hustler magazine? Once. One time. Once. It turned my stomach. <laughs> it turned her stomach, she said. Why did? Why was that? It just it seemed dirty rather than... It was dirty. Yeah. I think, yeah, they were dirty. I think they were sold brand new with the pages stuck together. <laughs> well, you know, I, I always used to tell people that that uh, I strove to write comedy that would make people want to wash their back of their neck with steel wool and turpentine after they were done. I mean, that was Larry's goal. Right on. That's what Larry this, wanted. This, this is from David Gee. He comments, obviously, on Bobby Slayton. He says, referring to Bobby Slayton, he called me once, dot, 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 an asshole. <laughs> I can't turn it off, Kip. What does that mean? Who, I don't know. Who, I, have who, to, I, have to, I have to ask him what in the world he's talking about. Who, who said that they can't turn it off? David Gee. Huh. And Tommy Connolly, Kip, I know you're pissed, but take your phone number down, brother. You have nothing to prove to anybody, and you don't want goofy bastards calling you who says so tommy well you know i i uh was gonna remark that is really old school man that uh that hey kip i tell you what anybody that was an internet person would say kip don't do that don't do that and you're like "Eh, that's my number yeah see i you're fearless well, I am fearless. I, I really don't. That does the thought of not doing it doesn't occur to me. Uh, I know that I know Henny Youngman's name was in the Manhattan phone book, and many many others. Uh, someone once said it may have been F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, "Anyone that thinks that being unavailable makes them more important." is a fool and I heard that and I said okay it's good enough for me 
I put my number up. You can call me. Is this Kip? It is. Hello, how do you do? Um, and in 19, remember, wonder when, in 1969, Elvis came out of retirement. Mm-hmm. And there was a big press conference. And, and, and Elvis is sitting there looking like $48 billion. And he's sitting there and he's got the dimples going and he just the whole thing. And, and some reporter said, Mr. Mr. Presley, uh, you, you can call me Elvis. Uh, you, Elvis, uh, you're appearing here at the International Hotel in Las Vegas. How do you think this will affect your image? And he said, well, you know, it's hard to live up to an image. And I thought, wow, that is so cool. Hard to live up to an image. Yeah, right on, man. One time, um, and Denny's heard these stories 48 billion times, but you're new meat. Well, I apologize to her for haranguing you all the time i'm the one that calls you i know but (laughs) you're haranguing me by accepting the calls yes i'm I'm enabled i'm an enabler yes one time when i was in vegas elvis was had opened at the international hotel now he had by this time been there several times but and every opening night of course there would be a press conference after the show. So I knew really everybody really that mattered in Vegas, including the entire crew of the, of the movie Casino. I knew all those guys, the real guys. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and, you know, I was just a little punk kid, and, you know, they laughed. You know, they laughed. I wasn't a gangster by any stretch. These were gangsters. Oh, hey. I, <laughs> yeah, anyway. the, the gangsters. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was the, uh, if you're a really good gangster, we send you to Vegas for being such a good gangster. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I called over to the International Hotel and I said, Kip Adada, I, I'd love to uh, go back to the press conference tonight. Oh, Mr. Dada, absolutely. Uh, my name is uh, 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 my name is Orlando. Please just tell, ask for Orlando. And I went over, I'm, uh, hi, I'm uh, Orlando. Ah, Mr. Adarius, right this way. And he takes me back, and now I'm in the the press room, which is a big white room. And and the press is there, all the press. From how many publications, I can't tell you, but I know the room was fairly crowded. And all the big news service guys were there. I was back in the age of the news. The AP guy was there, and he's going to be in 700 papers. Right. So, and here comes Elvis Presley. Mm. Wow. Looking good. I mean, Jesus. And he's going from one to the Hello, I'm Elvis Presley. And uh, just being the most polite, courteous, wonderful person that he could be, he got to me. And, uh, hello, I'm Elvis Presley. I said, Mr. Presley, I, my name is Kip Adada, and I'm working at Caesar's Palace. He says, really? I said, yes. He said, how is your audience tonight? 
I said, timid. <laughs> and he said, ours too. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought, what the fuck? Well, and I, I got to pinch myself. Excuse me, Mr. Man. I'm going to pinch this. So a few days, a couple of days later, I called the guy. Elvis Presley, please. Keep a daughter for Elvis Presley. Hold on. Hello? Mr. Presley, it's Kip. Hey, Kip. I said, let's go have some fun. He says, what do you mean? I said, let's go go-karting. That's just something I pulled out of my ass. Let's go go-karting. And he says to me, oh, Kip, I, I wish I could. I can't. I'll be, I'll be mobbed. <laughs> and, uh, I, I really, 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 really would like to get out of this hotel. I'm getting stir-crazy. But I can't go anywhere. I said, Elvis, take the chrome suit off, put a ball cap on, and meet me in the back of the hotel. <laughs> and there was this long pause. And I know what he was doing. He was looking down at what he was wearing, and indeed, he was wearing a chrome suit. <laughs> he said to me, he said to me, be down there in 30 minutes. <laughs> so I grab a car from somewhere, and I pull up behind the International Hotel, and here he comes out the back door with a ball cap and shades, and some jeans and some stupid uh, Converse shoes on. He probably stole from somebody, one of his crew members. Hey, Red, give me them shoes, man. I'm going out. Yeah. And uh, we went go-karting. And, and everything was cool. No problem. And we're going around. And when we did a few laps that way, and then he rams me. Oh, boy. Don't, well... Keep telling your story because I got one that, that'll validate everything you're saying. He rams me. And I, I just I, I don't do anything. I just keep going around. He rams me again. I get the message. Oh, okay. I ram him. Now we're doing chicken. We're running at each other. <laughs> I mean, we're just having a blast. And laughing and crying and Jesus Christ, we had a wonderful time. And uh, and and we and we did that a few times. He really enjoyed himself, and so did I. Of course, I was I was mesmerized, but I never had a picture taken with him or never asked for his autograph. I was too cool for that, and I think that's one of the reasons why people like that are. Um, so easy around me mm -hmm. because I don't require the nick. Right. Well, you're, you're coming to him as person to person. Right. And uh, anyway, things, this happened and that happened and that all, that all drifted away. But I do know this. His crew, the Memphis mob. Oh, yeah. Did not like me one bit. They're very protective. Oh, but not only protective, possessive. That too. And and really didn't take a shine to me at all, or anyone outside that right. circle. You know, uh, it it was well known. I mean, it's in all the books on on the grounds of Graceland 
they used to have these legendary motorcycle and go-kart races that were really almost Roman, uh, you know, Colosseum, Ben-Hur style chariot races. Well, he started it. Yeah, well, that's because that's what he liked to do, man. I mean, he was into that. I mean, and and, and into it. Like, other people didn't want to do it, and he'd be, no, we're going out there doing that today, man. That's all there's to it. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, there was a point in my life when I researched Elvis. I was fascinated by Elvis and all of the facets of his life, his his uh, monkey and all uh, the whole thing. And I didn't, know, uh, I didn't know about the monkey. Oh, he had a pet monkey, Skeeter, that that like was crazy. Because he was being kept in a house in you know the middle of Tennessee, and would like throw his own stool at the walls and just got crazy and nobody wanted to be around this monkey and his leaf scooter alone man it's just it's just ain't bothering nobody. Um, the the bacon and banana sandwiches the whole thing you know it just fascinated and then I went to Graceland and just went wow uh, if I ever make this much money I'm sure not going to spend it like this. Well, it's it's disappointing to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but hey, he, he was Elvis. You know what? As 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 I have said about myself, hey man, I'm the jewel in this setting, not the setting. <laughs> the house may not be much, but I live here, and that's what makes all the difference. And and um, I was at Graceland one night. I was working in the Memphis Hilton. And I'm standing, after the show, I'm standing in the lobby. And they had a great showroom. Hotels had great showrooms back then. I mean, beautiful, technically perfect. I'm standing there. And this little lady comes up to me. And she's in a, a pink. Coco Chanel. Coco Chanel. And this little woman comes up. And she's wearing a Coco Chanel suit pink and a pillbox cap hat and she says hi i'm mrs dr so-and-so from boonville tennessee you know that's daniel boone's hometown i said well that's what i hear it is indeed yes indeed and then she said to me and she looked up at me and said, I would love to suck your Yankee dick. <laughs> I said, well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's really sweet. Let me go pee. I'll be right back. Now, I, uh, I told the story a few times. And uh, this is the only story that I tell that some people don't buy. They don't buy this story. Uh, and it seems to me that they simply don't want it to be true. And um, so they do not accept the information. Now, I only preface the story because it is quite outlandish. Alka-Sensor. Alka-Seltzer is the best invention ever of all mankind. Oh, I'm waiting for that to fizzle up for me. And so I'm standing there with this lady in the middle, of, and there's people all around. 
and but none of them are bothering me really. Um. Anyway, there was a tap on my shoulder. A voice said, Kip. And I turn around, and it's Jerry Lee Lewis. He said, Kip, come on, let's go have a drink. I said, okay. We go in the bar. There's a bar right there. A few steps away and sit down on the first little two-top we come to. And uh, I don't think he saw my show. I think he glanced in, peeked into the showroom, and then went to the bar. That's what I gather. So um, he's talking. I'm listening. He's drinking. And he's talking. I'm drinking. And I'm listening. <laughs> he's talking about this and that and that and this. And... Uh, he says to me, come on, let's take a ride. Okay, so I follow him out of the hotel, and there is a beautiful Eldorado convertible. With just a, wow. It was wowsy, wowsy. With red ostrich hide interior. <laughs> and he takes us to Graceland where he pulls into the dr very short driveway there that when you meet the gate he pulls in that little drive and puts the bumper right on the gate and revs the engine on the Eldorado and now we're pushing on the gate <laughs> pulls out a chrome plated 45 911 and he starts firing rounds into the air and ye honking the horn and yelling I'm the king you son of a bitch I'm the king <laughs> well it wasn't long before two sheriff's cars pull up <laughs> and there was, a, there was a younger sheriff about you know kind of looked like you and then there was the the heavy set guy was obviously the senior of the two, and the, the senior of the two comes over to uh, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis's side of the car, and he says, "Now listen to this, Jerry. You got to stop doing this. You know they got a right to get some sleep in there. God damn it, I, I really wish you'd stop doing it, Jerry. I really do. Now." Take this young man home, wherever he is, and I'll drive Jerry back to his house, and then you come over and pick me up, all right? Jerry, oh, God damn it, I wish you'd stop doing this. Now slide over. And it was like I was in the fucking twilight zone. And that's where that happened. <laughs> oh, brother. I know, I know. Hard to believe, and yet... I don't find it hard to believe. I Seems, from what I've heard, it seems perfectly in keeping with something that would happen. Oh, I've got so many stories like that. I mean, my life has been on the... My life, is literally, and I'm sure that knowing a little bit about your life, I'm sure that um, you have had your brushes with danger in your life, but you defer to me because I'm older and because I'm... More accomplished... Different. 
Kipadata and well, to tell you the truth, Kip, you could be a guy named Joe Schmingenflinger, and if you had you know the storytelling ability that you have, I would listen do to I you. A, you do? I think I do have a good storytelling ability. You do, and uh, I would I would listen to a guy named Larry Schmingenflicker uh, with that storytelling ability talk to me about. Uh, the, the trip he took to the store to buy paper clips. I mean, well, um, how do you handle haters? People that just don't like your show and and come up and tell you so because I just got a guy that I don't get. <clears throat> I have to say that I very rarely will get someone that emails me and says, "Hey, I, uh, well, that says, hey, I listened to your show for the first time. Show number one ninety four. Not impressed." Uh, you are so far out of touch with real life and real people in this country. You may as well pursue a career in politics. And I'm thinking, well, first of all, my show isn't political. And what's the show that I talked about? Tanya Harding and uh, Nancy, whatever her name was. Uh, is that, Kerrigan, is that a political show? I didn't think it was a political show. So I wrote back, hi, Larry. Thanks for your kind note. I forwarded your message to Zogby and all the other polling institutions so they can dispense with all the silly actuarial data. You know, because you're a walking cross-section of humanity and are innately aware of the American public's wishes. Take care, and I can't wait to vote for you soon. <laughs> Tom G. That's how I handle my haters. Well, I, you're good. I don't get haters. I get other, uh, of course, uh, comedians can't stand me. They just really, really would rather that I had never been born. Except for Steve Martin, Milton Berle, Red Skelton. Uh, Kelly Monteith. Uh, Kelly Monteith. You know, they seem to tolerate me quite well. But um, these other people just can't stand me. However, other than being shot at three times and uh, and having death threats on the phone directly after a show, the phone <laughs> ring, Kip, call for you. Hello, I'm going to kill you. You are going to die tonight. <laughs> Putting that aside, other than that. That aside, I really don't have the haters. One time. And the SCTV people. One time I'm in the middle of a bit about black people and why they have to sit in the back. Okay, be careful because that, that pulled muscle in my in my rib cage you gave me from the Howard Lapidus duel is starting to act up again. I told him, I told the audience. Because there's a group of about 15 black people in the back. So I'm noticing this and I'm riffing on it. And I said, now, to the black people in the back of the room, you're in the back of the room. After we marched and we fought and we dodged bullets and water hoses, fire hoses, and yet where are you sitting? In the back of the room. Why? Because you're late. <laughs> That's why. You're always late, aren't you? And I'm going and I'm riffing on him. I said, tell me, exactly what time do you think the 8 o'clock show begins? You, you're bought, you came for the 8 o'clock show, am I correct? Oh, God. Here you are. And you're late. That's why you're sitting in the back. 
because all the white people showed up on time for the show. Well, they're dying. Yeah. The people, black people love me. And the audience is cautiously laughing very hard. And, but I turned my head. And just as I turned my head from out of the darkness, and you know how, what that means. You can't see shit out no, there. No, that light's in your face, and it's just a blob of stuff and out there. I turned my head, and a salt shaker about six inches tall and that big around hit me on the back of the head. Had I, been, had I not turned around, it would have hit me right in the face. Now, here's what happened. Some hater in the audience, a white man, went around and crouched behind the table of the blacks, stood up and let that thing fly, and then took a powder to make it think, seem like they had thrown the salt shaker. And it really hurt, and it really left a big welt. It was a heavy piece of glass. Well, I know it, I knew it wasn't the black group. I knew that it wasn't in, it was some guy. And then the guy calls the club owner the next day and says, "What a racist I am, and that I shouldn't be allowed to perform and blah 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 blah." And uh, the club owner pretty much told him to go fuck himself, you know. And 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 if you ever if you ever come in and cause trouble in my club again, I'll kill you. I'll know who you are somehow. But haters, not many. I mean, one time in San Francisco, a guy when I when I was when I drank. If I had just the right amount of Jack Daniels, I'd have dropped more or less. You couldn't beat me at pool. You just couldn't do it. Nobody could beat me at pool. You're one of those guys. Yeah. And I was whipping, and I had the bitches with me too. I was whipping this guy's ass, and he's getting in my face. You son of a bitch. And I said, Drew. Go for it, dude. I'm ready. Let's go. And he says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you. I said, good. Good. Let's go, baby. And then I woke up the next morning and I think, holy shit. And I, I called the club owner and I said, listen, there's a guy... He's a skinny guy with kind of reddish hair. If you see anyone like that, don't let him in the club tonight, please, because this guy wants to threaten my, going to kill me. But at the time, at the time, I was just, first of all, I had just kicked this wimp's ass pool badly. So I have actually, you know, right away I know that I'm more of a man than he is. And he knows it. And and I got my bitches with me. And, you know, you, how you show off in front of women. You know, I love showing off in front of women. It's the best way to show up. If women would just get the hell out of here. I could cower in the corner like I really want to. But, 
they're not leaving, so I have to do this little dance. The estrogen courage. I know what you're talking about. Right. But uh, I used to have trouble with Denny, and I don't know for sure, but I think she's improved on this. Denny doesn't know about standing by your, or didn't know about stand by your man. So if I would get in a beef with a bartender, unlike other girls I've known, Denny would sit nothing, say nothing. And I'm waiting for her to pick up a glass and throw it at the guy, you know. Hey, that's my boyfriend you're talking to. Back off. Because <laughs> that's what I'm used to. Well, you know, some women uh, show it's a sign of deference. It's, hey, he's the man, and he can, he, until he lets me know, he's taking care of his own thing. And if I butt in, then I'm disrespecting. Some, some girls think that, you know. And, uh, is her motive. Maybe that, maybe that is. I have no idea. I think when, when people... So I go back. I say, okay, now, Denny, we're going back to this bar. Oh, okay. Now, this time, I'm going to have a few words with this bartender. And, I'm, and I, I, I don't know what I told her. Denny, do you remember what I told you? Where the hell is she? Denny. Hmm? She's paying absolutely no attention to me. Anyway, I I said, listen, so I go into the Dantanas, and we sit out the bar. And I said, Michael, if you ever do anything like that again, I'm coming over the bar. I'm going to punch you right in the nose, asshole, real loud. And Michael goes, don't pay no attention to him. He's a comedian. He's a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) But I was pissed because what happened was, here's a guy that if I needed $200, you just say, Mike, I need 200 Mike, I, I'll take care of the tab tomorrow. Now, if you go through 30 years of that and you've performed, as stated, every single time, all of a sudden one night he says, no, you got to pay or get out, don't come back. I said, what are you talking what are you talking about, man? I think he was drunk. Anyway, thank God I had a friend there that says, Michael, I got the tab for Kip. You know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was pissed. Well, as well you should be. He should have said something when that policy changed. He should have come to you and said, look, the bar's cracking down on me. Whatever, but beforehand. Right. If there was right. an issue, but I don't understand people that go to comedy clubs and get offended. I mean, I, one of the things I like about these Friars Club roasts is that, I mean, that's what, I mean, come on. The comedy club is a place where you go that you can say anything as long as people laugh. When I was going, when my, when my marriage to plaintiff was breaking up, <laughs> um, <laughs> she would show up whenever I worked locally, she would show up. And sit in the audience. And I knew she was there, and I knew what she was going to do, because she always did the same thing. She'd wait till I said something, anything, that might not quite be network arable. And she would go, and storm out. And I would say, ladies and gentlemen, 
that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> get a huge laugh. Backfired on her. That's my wife. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and she would do it at every goddamn show. You know, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I got calls into people. Let me see. Hold on. Let me see exactly. Who's beckoning you? Well, no, I can check my... Just looking at the email. Facebook. John Buddha. John Buddha. Nothing is more pathetic than I'm killing it all over Facebook. And now I am off ponder that having no soul is. After I tell another group of folks this story. What the fuck is that talking? What is he talking about? Is it because I can't read? I mean, nothing is more pathetic than I'm killing it all over Facebook. What does that mean? And now I'm going to ponder what having no soul is after I tell another group of folks this story. Okay, John. Okay. All right. I'm going to like you. I'm... I don't know what that is. That is the biggest non sequitur I've ever seen. I'm tempted to write. Could you say that again, only in English? Well, here's what David <laughs> David Gee explains. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at it, but I'm looking at this John Buddha quote, and it's like, are you? What is that? I don't know what that, that means. I don't know. I don't even want to answer <laughs> it. Let's see what Jerry Kelsey has to say. I was surprised to find. That Steve Martin used jokes written by Jack Handy. Well, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If he did, he paid for those jokes. You dumb shit. See comment. Jack Handy isn't a comedian. He's a writer. I mean, I think he's a character, isn't he? I mean, I, th I always thought that that name was a was a nom de plume, but maybe it's not. Maybe there's a guy named Jack Handy. I, th I think Jack Handy's writing is extremely funny. But I don't see Steve Martin ever using any of it. It doesn't doesn't mesh to well, me. I mean, Steve Martin doesn't need to anyway. So if if Mister Martin did said material, he paid for it or asked the man if he could do it exclamation point fuckhead I better not put that see this is what I'm talking about by the world the age of snark it's like are you actually calling out Steve Martin on yeah. the generation of brand new innovative captivating conceptually brilliant material yeah. that that is so it's like who in the hell are you well look um uh you're right uh, uh, i happen to know that steve martin well here's david gee's response to my question i liked his response frankly i'm nothing more than a shameless opportunist looking for a cheap laugh my friend, why are why am I living? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> yeah, why am I living, David Gee? What the hell happened, Kip? Ken Cobbledick. Okay, what the hell happened, Kip? 
<laughs> do, you know, do you need anything? Should I come over? No, Ken Cobbledick. Mike. All right, Ken Cobbledick. I once spoke to him on the phone. I said, you know what? If I, I, I said, you know what? If, if there's no way I wouldn't want to talk to anyone by the name of Ken Cobbledick. I really, I could not say no to a man named Ken Cobbledick. I would tell him, I'm so happy you responded. I've been thinking about having my penis <laughs> made into a shoe. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got to say, call me, call me, me, comma, there's... There is there's someone in the house. Which was you're you're a you're a, a trivia expert. In which movie was the line, "Ma'am, the calling the call is coming from inside the house." Several movies. Uh, you know, I think one of them's called "Don't Go Inside the House," but uh, was man, it Dial M for Murder? Well, I think that's the. I don't know if that's the first one or not. There's that one. It could be. I think it is Dial M for Murder. Uh, but but it's been used several times since then. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's like a. Because um, uh, I remember watching this movie and it scared hell out of. There, it really there, scared me. There's another one, I think, where Audrey Hepburn is in it, maybe, and she's blind. Maybe that's it's, but th but that was a uh, like a standard uh, thing that people would say when they were they were talking about movie. The calls coming from inside the house. Oh no, you know, it's the, it became a uh, schlock thing to do in movies, like in the '80s. Oh well, when I saw it, it was long before the '80s, and. Uh, when they first traced, they were able to trace phones is probably when that right. became a thing. But those, uh, I think Stanwyck, was she in the movie? Agnes Moorhead did the radio version like a million times. Um, there's one called When a Stranger Calls, and that's that's the one I'm thinking of from the 70s. But I think maybe in Dial M for Murder, that yes, that that uh, that that's the first time that was done. Well, I think it was the second one that I saw. Anyway, it was so far back in my consciousness, except for when she, the detective called her and says, ma'am, we've, we've traced the call, and the call is coming from inside the house. Boy, I mean, it just scared the shit out of Same me. Same here. <laughs> you know, we could run out of the theater. The call is coming from inside the house. <laughs> Everybody run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. My first job, you know, and I keep saying this a lot only because my memory keeps pulling up other first jobs. <laughs> my first job was that of an usher in a theater at the Auburn Theater in Rockford, Illinois. And it was on Auburn Street. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I, would, I would be the usher. I think I wore a little uniform and I think I, I don't think I showed people to their seats as much as I let them pick the seat they wanted, but I had a flashlight so that they wouldn't trip and fall, and I would kind of shine a flashlight along with them as they went. And then <clears throat> I manned the uh, candy counter and the popcorn machine, and and my entire run there was during the movie. Oh, 
with Ezio Pinza and some other broad. Any, oh, who was in South Pacific, Denny? Mitzi Gaynor. Mitzi Gaynor and Ezio Pinza. Denny used to work for Mitzi Gaynor. Oh, wow. You worked for what? Her husband. She worked for Mitzi's husband. Same thing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. She worked for Miss Mitzi Gaynor. Anyway, Mitzi Gaynor and Ezio Pinza. With his shirt open through the whole movie. Well, I can't. I heard this fucking movie in my brain with them songs. Uh, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. That ba- Shut the ba- fuck up. Was Bally High from that movie? Bally High was from that. Bally High. Oh, yeah, thanks. That'll be in my head for like a week now. <laughs> I wanted to slit my throat <laughs> every day. I would work the night shift and, oh, this movie would run over. And how many people did it draw? Five for, for performance? I mean, what? Oh. South Pacific? Yeah. Well, it was a huge hit. It was a big Academy Award nominated thing. In New York City. I got you. In Rockford, Illinois, they, they probably didn't go over as big, huh? Well, it, it, no. <laughs> it did not. But as long as that movie ran, that's my the length of time I was at this theater. <laughs> and I stole tremendous amounts of candy and ate it behind the counter of the candy machine when no one was looking. And there were these Raleigh bars or some goddamn thing. And I would stuff myself with those and then peek in the door. And I was just so depressed. I hated Give me anything, anything, anything. Give me fucking uh, Hopalong Cassidy. I need something besides this piece of shit. And then I think the owner of the theater or manager, whatever he was, a stern gentleman, found out about my candy bar consumption. (laughs) And it was over. (laughs) Uh, I've always felt musicals, no matter how good the musical is, is, um, Oklahoma, uh, hell, Rocky Horror, if you want to go that far. I mean, every musical I've ever seen, Brigadoon, you name it, the first half or three quarters, you're going, this is amazing, singing in the rain. This is great. This is, oh, gosh, I love this. And you hit about halfway or three quarters through, and you're just like, okay, could you quit singing? Could you yeah. just quit singing everything you do? And the songs get worse as you go along, by the way. You know, toward the, toward the end, something gets real sad and or something. And, and it's and like the... the musicals well it's i get sick of hearing people singing i'm gonna plow this field with the shovel in my hand and the dirt's gonna go over my shoulder and it's i can see that (laughs) that works fine in a theater live yeah because i saw a production of guys and dolls live and uh because i was friends with jack jones and he was in boy and he was in this production of guys and dolls and i'll tell you i i i loved it but you can't transfer that to the screen just because of the point you just made. They're singing. I mean, why are they singing? <laughs> I don't, you know what? I don't believe them. Yeah. For some reason, on film, I can't deal with this. 
Uh, Singing in the Rain, great movie. Wonderful. Gene Kelly, wow. But, God damn it. Why is he singing? <laughs> he could do the same dialogue and just talk it. Uh-huh. But no. However, Jailhouse Rock was a great musical. Elvis's movies weren't, I didn't feel like they were musicals as much as Elvis would just stop and do a song because he was the guy that, well, I'm a mechanic by day. Sometimes I'll just sneak in here at night and I'll do a Boston old song, a couple things, and then I'm back out. And it wasn't like it was a musical. It was just, no, Elvis is like a race driver that sings or he's a, you know, a boxer that sings. Or something like that, but I'm going to win this race. <laughs> but, but, you know that production number in in uh, Jailhouse Rock. He oh. did all the choreography for that himself. Man. And you got to admit that was that was pretty impressive. And of course, you're right about his movies. Um, <laughs> um, you spoke about his 1969 comeback. And I would say, without question, and I have it on DVD, that comeback special is, without question, the finest musical performance ever on television. That's the one I'm talking about. And I have a DVD that's got all the extra footage when they were warming up and they're just doing acoustic and some of the extra songs they didn't put in the special. And I'm telling you what, even the special, that 60 minutes, the best musical performance ever on television you will never top it. well he did it live uh, he did it live but they kept the cameras rolling right yeah that's why when they taped this thing dr demento i must have been channeling because i said whatever happens ladies and gentlemen do not stop your role you always say that don't stop the role because I knew I had things that I was going to do, and they didn't know what they were. Anyway, uh, you're right about Elvis. He, <laughs> oh, God damn it. You know, when he was a big star, but at the very beginning of his being a big star, when You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog was, like, not number one, but number minus two, <laughs> It was so hot yeah. that, and he got into a thing in a filling station where someone tested his metal, and Elvis punched the guy out, was arrested, and brought into court, and they had this film footage of him walking into court, and the music is, you ain't nothing but a hound, and Elvis looked so cool. It's so fucking cool that I'll never forget this image. It was in black and white, and it's him walking into the courtroom to explain himself to the judge. So he was not only Elvis Presley, he was also a bad boy. It can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. He, got, he punched some guy out in the gas station. Well, how, how, you can't get any cooler than that. That's it. And boy, I'll tell you, like the Beatles, man, you know, you, I don't have to mm. tell you, he changed everything, everything. Uh, and I'm sorry, Mr. Lewis. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Jerry Lee Lewis. There ain't nothing better than the killer. 
I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him when he's young. I love him when he's old. I love him because he's so goddamn cocky. Jesus Christ. And he's Jerry. He's Jerry Lee Lewis all the time. Right. And Elvis always had this look on his face like he's smiling. He's got the dimples going. And he he's the last one on the set that takes himself seriously. I mean, this is this is a rat fuck from beginning to end. I think I'm told by the look on his face. It looks to me like he's kind of laughing at himself. Isn't this silly? He I don't think he ever really got over the fact that even though he was Elvis Presley, I don't think he ever really understood what all the hullabaloo was about. You know, because you're you're okay. You're Elvis Presley, but you know you still got to take a dump. You know. And you're going to read the paper. And, you know, all the human things go on in one's life. You know, it's just, you're just a guy. You're just a girl. And, uh, okay, people are making a fuss over you. Well, that's their call. Well, you can say, well, you're the one that went after show business. and But they don't understand really that, yeah, I did. Because I had no other choice. I had no other avenue. Uh, that was the only way, and it was the world of the dice. I did what I did, and it worked out for me. Miracle of miracles. But never once in my life, I'm personally in wonder that you, like a person like you, is familiar with anything I've done. I I don't get up in the morning and say, well, Kippadot is feeling well today. <laughs> Yes, he is, quite well. You know, I really, one time, uh, and this is a great story, because I had uh, trouble with sound checks. Because they, when I was working with bands, of course, the band did their sound check. And, of course, the, in, the uh, sound engineer took them quite seriously, and very serious. And then when the band was done, they'd just leave. Well, I need a sound check. I mean, I, I got to have sound check because the audience must understand the difference between a P and a D and a T. Exactly. So so there was this woman, Rana, Rana, nice girl. Was She was had such a crush on me, but it just wasn't happening for me. It was That was her crush, not mine. But she would always be there, be there, be there, be there. And um, I gave her some money. I said, Rana, I want you to go out and rent a nun's habit. <laughs> so she does. She goes out and she rents a nun's habit. She's a little Jewish girl, by the way, <laughs> just to make it better. <laughs> and she put it on. I said, I want, you, I want you to, as soon as the band is done with their sound check, I want you to go out and say, excuse me, excuse me, hello, pardon me, uh, Mr. Adada would like to do his sound check if he may. And of course, they absolutely stumble over themselves to please the nun. And I got my sound check. I was going to say no to a nun. And, and she would be in the dressing room and I would I told her I says now 
um, if someone comes in, please uh, uh, help. If they want a, if they want a, a beverage, get it for them, and answer the door and do the whole schmear sh- for me. And she was a good sport, and she had a great sense of humor, so she knew what was going on. So on one occasion, it was the most beautiful thing. I'm working in a theater theater in the round on Long Island. I forget the name of it, but it's not far from Manhattan. Anyway, there's a knock at my door after the show, and in come all the William Morris agents en masse. And they're all strutting in like they're, you know, they're the mob. And they sit down, the couches and the chairs, they're all sitting there. There must have been seven or eight of them. <laughs> Rhonda says, and they're all Jews, would you gentlemen like anything to drink? <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I'd, I'd like a, a screwdriver. No problem. She, she pour them a screwdriver, bring it to them. And it so disarmed them that I became a legend at New York William Morris Agency. I mean, there was nobody more talked about than Kipadada because he traveled with a nun. <laughs> that would that would make you a highball. Yeah, oh sure. Now, Dinny, this girl that's over on the couch reading the paper, and she makes little marks on the paper. I have no idea what they are. One one year at the Comedy Awards, I, I, I said, Dinny, go rent a nun's habit. And she did. She won't do it again for me, but she did at that time. And she went and she got this nun's habit. And I'm with my friend Alan, my friend Peter, myself, and Dinny, nuns happen. We show up at the comedy awards. Well, I mean, they just couldn't do enough for us. And and and, and Dinny's story was this. Well, Kip and I, we went to grade school together, and I took my path, and he took his, <laughs> and and we've we've always maintained a friendship. <laughs> Because women would come over to where she was sitting and sit down. Like, why are you here? They were, they couldn't deal with the fact. Oh, and they covered their boobs when they did it. Why are you here? Why are you in this den of the devil? And Dinny, she got a cherubic face. She says, well... Kip and I went to grade school together, and we've maintained our friendship over the years, and he took his path, and I took mine, and blah, 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 blah. And what else did they say to you, Denny? Well, some of them were very, very upset. Very upset. Some of the the ladies were very upset. (laughs) Why do you suppose they were upset? They were dressed like sluts. Because they were dressed like sluts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they were sluts. Well, you know, maybe Denny just realized that would be a, a difficult habit to put down. Oh, God. Smack, smack, smack. I know it. I know it. You, you know, you talked about that picture of Elvis. I saw, and, and by the way, when I talk to you and I mention a name, it's like walking through a, 
a minefield full of claymore mines. Only when you step on one, you don't blow up. You uh, a, a shower of of flowers and scented oils and ambrosia fall on you because I've detonated a, a Kippadata story. I've got a Robert Robert Mitchum has a picture. Of when oh. he was arrested for the possession of marijuana, the judge is like, "Well, I, you can either repent and do all this stuff and get out, or do the time." And Robert went, "Well, judge, I think I'd prefer to do the time." And so he does his time on the work farm. Is a hero to those guys. And the picture of him walking out is just like, "Well, yeah, I'm just walking out of jail after doing my time. No big deal." Uh, there's a great. He's the coolest. I love Robert Mitchell. There's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful interview. Robert Mitchum on the Dick Cavett Show. And Robert Mitchum was one of the coolest human beings to ever exist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought Robert Mitchum was very hot and cool, but even more so off screen Mm -hmm. at this interview with Dick Cavett because he was so human and had such a a kind of uncomfortableness about him because he was in front of an audience, you know, there was a kind of uh, embarrassment about him, shyness, and it was so, so cute. And, uh, and uh, Lee Marvin, same way. Really? Oh, Lee Marvin, when, when he was on a Tonight Show, he was just talking like a regular guy, you know? I mean, he was just as, as normal as anybody on earth, uh, you know? I haven't seen that. Oh yeah, it's it's really great. He talks about you know he was injured in the war and everything else, and he talks about it and how he was shot through his in the. Oh yeah, I got shot in the butt. That's oh, not that's nothing to be proud of. I mean, I got shot in the rear end. You know, whatever. Well, if for your own edification, I recommend you looking up um, Robert Mitchum on the Dick Cavett Show. Let me see if. Let me see. Hold on. Let me just look for it myself because I want to make sure that my memory isn't fooling me again because it does. Cavett was a good interviewer. I, I enjoyed his shows, especially because they were a full hour with one person. Uh, I know, but the, his problem was he tried to be funny. Glib. He was very glib. How do you spell Mitchum? M-I-T-C-H-U-M. U-M. Dick. There was a comedian or a performer named Guy somebody. Guy, Guy he did imitations. Old, he wasn't, did he? I'll, find, I'll find him. And he did a, a perfect... Oh, here it is. Oh, oh, I'm so happy I found this for you. Now, there's a one, a two. I guess it's... Uh, well, I'm going to send you... There's part one, and there's part two, and he's so hip. He reminds me a lot of John Lennon, believe it it or not. Um, uh, I found it for you here. Let me send you this. You're going to love this. He was, he's wonderful. And I'll tell you someone else that was on the Dick Cavett show that I thought was marvelous was um, he was married to Elizabeth Taylor. He was... Richard uh, Burton? Richard Burton. It was marvelous. Just marvelous. He was a Welshman. And 
they showed some clips of his from some movie where he played an archbishop or something, you know. And um, and they showed the scene, and he made the comment, well, I blew that line. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, that was certainly a false line, or false, didn't, you know, just, uh, uh, this, uh, this will be uh, subject matter, dick. <clears throat> I get a lot of emails like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's usually a comma after subject matter. Okay, now you can. I think I sold. I sent you one, but there's there's a part two also. Cool. And uh, yeah, Robert Mitchum was just about. Uh, you know, now that you mention it, there's so many cool people though. I I love them. I love them all. I I think I was I was meant to be, because my the way my taste runs. My taste runs a generation behind me as far as who I think is important. And I know Mick Jagger is important, Rolling Stones, Keith Richard got it, uh, Moon, the drummer Moon got it, uh, yeah, all that. But Robert Mitchum and, uh, is a whole, and people like him are just in a whole different other strata for me. William Holden. Oh. God, William Holden. Jesus Christ. Um, if only he had a padded coffee table. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, what a terrible thing. But uh, all those movies, you know, St Stalag uh, 17 alone. I mean, and, and Bridge on the River Kwai. You can go down, but anything he's in, you can watch, and you know he's going to be awesome in it. God, he was great in the Towering Inferno, for crying out loud. And he had a voice that would, could break rock. <laughs> he, when he spoke, it was so goddamn and not affected at all. He just That was his voice because he drank a lot. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to say a name that'll, that, that a guy like you, David Jensen, Oh, my Lord. I, I tell you what, I have the very first episode of The Fugitive. I have the last and what was the highest rated program for a long time. And that doesn't happen in television. The final episode of The Fugitive. I have that episode as well. And I tell people uh, and, and everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I tell people, hey, The Fugitive, the movie was a good movie, but the show Every week, that guy was in a different situation, a different thing, and, and it was never the same show. It was a different, it was the same show. It was him, Richard Kimball, in a situation, doing a job, you know, he's the work hand, or he's the truck driver, or he's the veterinarian's assistant, or whatever. But that show ran for, what, seven years like that? Well, I don't know, but it was certainly, and David Jansen, he died on the floor of a casino mm -hmm. in Vegas. I'm going to do some David Jansen research tonight just so I can. I loved David Jansen. God damn. What a voice. What a persona. He was a man's man. I mean, he. I feel like I could smell his cologne when he worked. You know, he just had a, a great. I don't know anything about his personal life, by the way. 
all I know is that he had that wonderful voice and he was very handsome and and uh, I I wanted to be him. Yeah, David Jansen. He had he, and I did. Wasn't uh, he on Harry O when that happened? I think he had a hit series when he died, or he very did. shortly thereafter. My mother was a big David Jansen fan, and when he died, it was it was a thing in our house. It was like, wow, so young. How, why did that have to happen? And uh, he he was he, a great guy. He, had, he he did have a, a very successful series. And I'm not sure if he died during the series or after the series, but you're correct. Yeah, he was, and, is that, and it was Harry O. Okay, I take your word for it. You no, know, it was Harry O. And it was a Quinn Martin. I, th- if I'm not mistaken, it was a Quinn Martin series. Let me see here. I got it pulled up. I've got Harry O. Pulled up. Uh, 74 to 76, and Jansen died in 80. So it was four years after that. Uh, TV Guide ranked him as one of the 50 top TV stars of all time. Well. 48 when he died. damn it. Here's another one I outlived. (laughs) You know, I guess it's not so bad to be Kippadada after all. Well, he was Richard Diamond on TV, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Richard Diamond on the radio was Dick Powell, and it's one of my favorite radio series. It's it was awesome. The the legs at the beginning of Richard Diamond on television were Mary Tyler Moore's legs. What a cunt. <laughs> and Tom stepped on another Kippadada story Claymore. <laughs> well, there used to be a um, first class airline that only ran between Los Angeles and New York. It was called Raleigh Air. And uh uh, how do you spell Jansen? Uh, that is spelled J-A-N-S-S-E-N. When I asked. I was, I was sent in. I was flown via Raleigh Air there, and I brought my son with me, Victor, my oldest first child. I, and he was a young man at the time. He was no little boy anymore. But I had me plus one tickets. What the hell? <laughs> so, and Raleigh Air was very uh, for full first class, no shit, and uh, it held about I'm going to guess twenty people on a seven thirty seven because the rest of it was with bars and couches and places to hide and fuck. <laughs> and that's a that's a kids game now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um. I said to, uh, and I had I had makeup on because of the show. I had just done a show, and I had makeup on. And in the light, it must have looked like, on on the tip of my nose, like here, it sparkled. And I think the stewardess thought it was cocaine because she seemed to treat me like I was high, and I wasn't high. I had, hadn't had anything to drink, and. Certainly no drugs. I'm with my son. But anyway, I I decided to get some film for my camera because I wanted to take a picture of my son and I on this beautiful plane. But I didn't have any film. All I had was a camera. So I went from seat to seat to seat to seat to seat. Pardon me. Excuse me. Would you happen to have a roll of 35-millimeter film? <laughs> And 
and most of them said, yeah, no, I'm sorry. No, I don't. Jesus, I, I had some, but no. Then I got to Mary Tyler Moore. I said, excuse me, would you happen to have a roll of 35 millimeter film? And she went like this. Look at the camera. Okay. So I, I say, excuse me, would you happen to have a roll of 35 millimeter film? And she goes like this. No. I thought. And I went away muttering to myself, what a cunt. <laughs> what a cunt she is. But anyway, we landed in L.A. and at a special area of L.A. And each one of us had a car and driver. This was the coolest airline. Your car, sir, right here this way. Thank you very much for flying rolling. <laughs> Wonderful. And uh, here I'm with my son, and they get in there, get in there, you lug. And we we sped off into the night, back to, uh, uh, I was living in a fucking big house overlooking the beach at the time, so I can't say back to some little place. But um, I'm going to do David Jansen, I'm going to do Richard Diamond, I'm going to do... I've done Dinah Shore. You know, I can't find a goddamn bio biography on her for some reason on YouTube. Uh, but David Jansen, I have to get a look at his face again and just relive some memories. All You know, everything to me, when I meet someone that, that I've known for a long time or knew a long time ago, hey, man, that's my past I'm looking at. And it's important to me. It's a, I get a charge out of it. I think that's why we hug old friends really hard because mm. we're hugging our own past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right on. Boy, yeah. good to see you. Boy, did I think you were an asshole. But now <laughs> you seem to have rehabilitated yourself. <laughs> Tom, you're a great man. And... Um, Believe me, I will not, I will have no connection. You said I wouldn't have anything to do with this fellow. I don't even know what fellow you're referring to. Gotcha. All right, bye. Take it easy, Kip. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. enjoyed volume one of me and Kip Adada. Uh, volume one out of I don't know how many volumes. I've got dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of conversations with Kip. And you can check them all out at thetomgullyshow.com. And please listen to The Tom Gully Show on YouTube at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. And please go get yourself a copy of Confessions of a Comedian by Kipadada on Amazon. Till next time, we'll see you next time.